See, Elevate is made up of early adopters. We're supposed to interact with the life groups after the service, but you guys just can't wait. You're like, let's go now. Let's do this. <laughs> anyway, we we'll welcome everybody watching us by live stream. Welcome everyone that's here. Why don't you say it with me? Jesus, Jesus has, something has something good for me today. And we believe God has something good for you as well. And we want to bless you in every way. And we want to encourage you to share the stream and just bring hope into somebody's world and connect them to a message that can bring life and point them in the right direction. The Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord, so let me just give you a little Bible study here. So I love to, I like to teach the Bible and I don't always get a chance to teach it the way that like I feel like I'm designed to teach it. But uh, because I like I'm a, I'm a I do exegesis like so I can break books down and stuff like that. That's really what I feel like is my strength more than anything. So to give you an understanding what the book of Deuteronomy is all about, it's the book of retelling. So it's, it's Israel, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Israel was leaving as they came out of Egypt. The Lord gave them a bunch of instructions in the wilderness through the book of Exodus and through the book of Numbers. And now they're about to come into their promises. And so the Lord retells them what needs to happen. And so if you ever read the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to see a lot of similarities of what he's already said because God is reinforcing to them what he's already told them. And so sometimes it's not, you know, Christians don't ever have a habit of saying, well, you know, I've already heard that. Well, the Bible says it's not laborsome to hear it again. Yeah? There's a, there's a statement that talks about memorization. It says you don't really memorize it until you heard it 21 times, right? And then you really don't know it until you actually do it. And so Israel's getting ready to go into the promises and they're reminding them, the Lord is reminding them through Moses. He's giving them final instructions before they're released into the promises that they have to now go and reach and grab. And in Deuteronomy chapter six, it says, the Lord commands us to observe his words. Say this with me. The Lord commands us to observe his words, to honor the Lord our God. It is for our good, always so that he might give us life. So the Lord tells us to honor his word and to listen to him, not because he's just this dictator and this taskmaster that's trying to make us do things or that he has some ego that he needs to feed where he's just controlling everything. The Bible tells us that God gives us these words in order that, we, in order that they would be for our good. If we listen to the Lord, goodness comes into our life. And if we listen to the Lord, life comes into our life. Jesus is the source of life. So the things that we're going to talk a little bit about, another thing that God wants us all to do, and he wants us to be a part of something and integrate. A few weeks ago, we talked about service and how God wants us to be in part of service because, again, it's for our good. God's laid out a model for his kingdom. God's laid out a model for his church in the New Testament. He's told us how to build it. He's told us what he wants done and how he wants it done, right? So in the New Testament, so Jesus, he gives us a general direction. This is another thing you're going to understand about if you follow the Lord for any length of time. God will give you a very broad canvas and he'll let you paint on it. He'll let you, he'll, he will call you in a direction and he will allow you to put details into that. He does it with the church. He tells the church, this is what I want and into that canvas, we're able to paint. Into that canvas, we're able to create what God wants on the tapestry that he gives to us. He gives us principles. He gives us directions. 
Churches essentially, if you're going to take about the core of the gospel, they teach the core things. We're supposed to teach the core things. And then out of those core things, it's all about philosophy. You know, the churches are allowed to develop a philosophy of ministry. And, what, and not all of those philosophies God agrees with, right? Some churches are really loose. Some churches are really strict. That's what Revelation talks about. God's like, a lo- he's speaking against the churches that are just loose and don't have any uh, honor for the word of God. And he's also against those churches that are so doctrinally tight that they suffocate and dominate the people. One of the biggest things in scripture that just continues a recurring theme is that God wants his spirit involved in this process. The kingdom and power is not, an, is not something that's an accessory. It's an absolute for his, his kingdom, but that's for another day. The model of God's church is corporately and individually. So God has a plan for the community itself, for the development of the church itself collectively. And in that collective plan, God desires to develop the individual. Jesus is never going to do anything in your life without a commitment and a connection to his church, ever. He doesn't work through Lone Rangers. Now, my wife just and I were just talking about it. And just even things that we've seen people try to do without any, self, any level of connection to a ministry, and they almost always flounder. Because the only thing Jesus is building is the church. He's, and it's the only thing he's building. He's not building anything else. And we're like, well, what's a church? And we've had a, a generation through the 90s that wanted to, re, to redefine what a church was. I think, we've, I think we've been down that road, haven't we, if anybody's familiar with that? Well, we need to define what a church is. I, I tell people, for 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit's been defining what a church is. He's shown us what it is. It's a collection of called out ones, called unto worship, to serve the Lord, to gather unto him and to the world. It's not individuals. The church has an individual component to it, but the church dominantly is a collective. It's a body. And so it's necessary to be connected to a body. Your destiny will never happen without it. What do we say? Read your Bible, pray, financially give, live on mission, and uh, commit and connect to church. That's the model without that. And so the model, God has a model for his church corporately, as a model for his church individually. While you don't need to like, we don't need to write an essay on this, it's important for us to, if, as God's people to understand that, this is the, the, that these things are necessary and how God works. God works through this way. So I'll just start reading it. Acts chapter five. It said, this is the New Testament church. So the church was born into the world, right? And this is what the Lord immediately began to implement into their lives. It says, they met daily. Daily. Can you imagine? We meet weekly. These people were meeting daily. Daily. In the temple court, publicly, and from house to house. So they were meeting corporately, and they were meeting in houses. And they were doing this stuff every single day. Is that nuts? Like, we need to get back to the early church. Yeah, let's start meeting daily. That's what, the, that's what they did. They met daily in the temple and in house to house. And they did not cease to meet. And they taught and preached Jesus as the Christ. So they didn't cease to meet. So it was daily, so it's a kingdom lifestyle. So Chris, say it with me. Christianity isn't something I do. It's who I am. You're called into a kingdom and into a lifestyle that comes through that kingdom. Right? It's a lifestyle. Lifestyles of the sons and daughters. I don't know, but it's, it's a lifestyle. Every area of our life is to be integrated with the flow and the rhythm of his kingdom. Every part of our life is to be integrated with the flow and the rhythm of his kingdom. It's not what we do, it's who we are. 
Okay? So, that, so they would do this daily. They lived this stuff. They met publicly. They didn't have a problem with corporate gathering. They loved corporate gathering. I was glad when they said unto me, David said. Literally, the translation means I started running when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. David didn't hug the pillow. He threw the pillow. It's like, time to go to the house of the Lord. Let's go. He came running. So they met corporately and they met house to house. So what I want to talk to you about is why life groups are important. Life groups are important. They're integrated. They're house ministries that are integrated from the very foundation of the church. They're necessary. You say, it's not my thing. Well, your thing needs to become Jesus' thing. It's not about your thing. It's about Jesus' thing. And if Jesus, has a, if Jesus has an important part of it, then it needs to become important to you. The church itself has five mandates. So uh, this is, again, biblical understanding, understanding what the mandates that God expects upon the church. And here you're going to find headers, right? So he's going to give you a header. One of the mandates is worship. Well, what does worship look like? Right? That's, that's again, there, there's, he just gives you a block. Worship. We, we worship the Lord with singing. We worship the Lord through fellowship. We worship the Lord through giving. We worship the Lord through service. We worship the Lord in a lot of ways. Through prayer. Prayer is an act of worship. It's one of the mandates on the church. Discipleship. Discipleship's an essential. It's not an afterthought. You're called to grow, right? You, you, Jesus loves you too much to leave you the same. We're called to grow. We're called to grow. We're not called to just come to church and receive this really in inspiring message, although I do my best. <laughs> You're called to grow and develop. Grow and develop. You're called to move past where you are into ever-increasing places of faith. That's what God expects of you. And so as a church, as a Christian, you're not supposed to just sit around and just go, oh, I need my inspirational shot for the week, and so I'm going to go to church and get my Tony Robbins message and my inspirational, you know, message. That's great, right? That's fine. That's great. But that's not what we're, that's not God's design. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm not saying it's not even functional. But I'm trying to tell you it's not the way the Lord's designed it. He's designed it to be a discipleship, a learning transformative experience to be together, not just on Sundays, but as this lifestyle continues. Fellowship, I want to come back to that one. And in ministry, so the church is designed to have a ministry. We're supposed to be serving, uh, serving each other and serving uh, the needs of the people. Ministry means under rower. It means one beneath that makes things go. So all y'all want to be, you all have a ministry. So every Christian has a ministry. All of you do. I was just reading it. It's 2 Corinthians. I was, just, I, I was telling uh, the, the team this week, I was like, man, I've read this verse so many times. And it just, that, this first, and I always quote it, quote the second half of it, but I never really paid that. You're like, you're a pastor. Pay attention, Kevin. You know, I never really paid attention to the first part of it. It says, we are ministers of the new covenant, not in word, but in spirit. For the, spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And you say, well, that's profound. Well, I started meditating on that because it stood out to me. And I was asking the Lord, what is this, you know, like, like I could feel it. So I start working with the Lord on it. And he was showing me. He's like, well, what's, you know what a minister is? A minister is somebody beneath the deck pulling on the oars. That's what a minister is. The guy beneath the deck making the boat go, propelling forward. Or it means to come beneath and lift. To minister to someone is to come underneath them and lift them. To minister to someone is to get down below the deck and pull the oars so that the boat moves. That's what it means to minister. We think ministers this hierarchy or, you know, I'm here to minister to you. I'm the minister. I'm the Reverend Dr. So-and-so. That's not the biblical model. 
So God was showing me in that verse, it's like you propel this new covenant is propelled forward, not with word, but with spirit. That's what that verse means. You can't get away. Man, I mean, I'm just like, I like swim in this world of the supernatural. It just doesn't leave me. Every time I look at the Bible, I'm like, it's right there. It's right there. And yet the church is completely vacant of signs and wonders. You're going to see it again right here in Acts chapter 2. Signs and wonders accompanied what they did, right? So if there's no signs and wonders, we have to ask ourselves, well, what the heck are we doing, right? There should be signs and wonders. There should be power. There should be active atmosphere of that. There should be something that's moving in your life. You should be moving in forward into your inheritance, and that should be something that's an active power that's present within the church. <laughs> ministry. It's under rower. So we serve one another through ministry. So the church has a mandate. My mandate is to get beneath your life and push you up, to point you to a higher place. Here's where you are. Here's where you can go. Here's where you are. Here's what Jesus wants. That's my job. It's not to tell you everything in your life is okay, because if you're honest, most stuff in your life isn't okay. Yeah? There's functional dysfunction in all of our lives. Sometimes you got to look and say, I always tell myself this, I see what condition my condition is in. I just got to see, figure it out. You know, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Ministry has to happen in the church. It's, we have to serve one another. That's necessary. We have to get beneath one another's lives. We have to use what we have to propel the gospel forward, to propel the church forward, to propel the kingdom forward, but also propel each other forward. So understanding. And evangelism is just reaching out. But one of the key elements of the mandates, which that's for another time. I don't want to diminish evangelism. All the evangelists are out here going, what? You're not going to talk about evangelism? Yes, I will, but not today. <laughs> Fellowship. Fellowship is koinonia. It means bonded fellowship. It means intentional. I agree. I agree to like you, Carmen. That's what koinonia means. I'm bound to you through Christ by blood. Nothing that you do, apart from burning my house down, but you might even that probably, is, is to break. I will not break fellowship with you. That's what covenant, that's what koinonia means, is that we're bonded to one another. Doesn't mean we don't have differences. Doesn't mean we don't have dysfunctions. Doesn't mean we don't have disagreements. Doesn't mean that people don't break fellowship with you. But we are not to break fellowship with one another as much as depends on you endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Sometimes you can do only so much, right? It takes two to tango. Right? You, can, you can't reconcile relational situations sometimes, not because you don't want to, but because the other person doesn't want to. Does that make sense? That's not your problem. That's not your fault. You do as much as you can. You can't control the other person. If the other person doesn't want that sort of relational reconciliation, you can't control that. You can only do what you, as much as depends on you. But fellowship is a bond. It's a choice. Acts chapter 2, chapter two says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. It tells us what the model is, right? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the breaking of bread, in prayers, and reverence came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. What well, was done through the apostles? The word apostles is apostolos. Many signs and wonders, you can translate it this way. Many signs and wonders were done through the sent ones. You're a sent one. God will do signs and wonders through you. Sent ones. Right? And it says, now all who, all who were there together had everything in common. They served one another. They ministered to one another. They sold their possessions and divided them and they gave as anyone had need of. <laughs> Grand experiment. And in, in, uh, the church was broken about uh, within 50 years, this church was broke because they were just giving everything away. They weren't necessarily stewardly. They're like, just give it all away. 
And then if you read that further on in the New Testament, Paul's like, yeah, they went broke, you know. They didn't really think too much about that. And so Paul's collecting offerings to support the church in Jerusalem because they went broke. They, were give, they gave everything away. It's okay to give stuff away. People ask me this question. They're like, well, should I sell everything and give to the poor? Should I do that? No, that's not what God is saying. It's an attitude and an intention of generosity. That's what he's saying. Have an attitude and an intention of generosity. Hold nothing. You know, when Jesus told that man to sell everything and give to the poor, he wasn't telling him to go bankrupt and live on the street. He was showing him that, he has, that money was his idol. And the fact that he couldn't do it represented the idol in his heart. He couldn't give because Jesus was saying, because he said, what is the command? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. This thing I've done since I was a child, this man says to him. Jesus said, okay, because he's boasting. I've fulfilled this. I am clear in my righteousness. Jesus is like, all right, then sell everything you got and give it to the poor. And a man was grieved and he went away. Why? Because he didn't love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus was pointing out, you have an idol. Your idol is your money. Your idol is your ego. Your idol is your self-image. This is what he's showing him. So it wasn't the issue of the action. It was the issue of the idols in the heart. You see? God didn't give them a command to get rid of everything. They just did it on their own. And they were broke very shortly. <laughs> you should apportion a part of your life to be generous with. You should give the Lord what belongs to him. And you should be generous with everybody else. But that doesn't mean you go broke in the process. Is this helping anybody? Yes. No? Yes? I don't know. Just a thought. <laughs> and says, so they continued with one accord in the temple, breaking bread house to house. There's the verse again. And they ate their food with gladness and humility of heart, praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so the apostles' doctrine, so they continued in the apostles' doctrine. What does that mean? They continued in scripture and the philosophy of the ministry. Paul had a specific philosophy of ministry. The apostles of that, that time had different philosophies of ministry. You can see it in the different churches, even as you read through the New Testament. They're teaching the same gospel, but they're going down different lanes of approach on how they get to that goal. The goal is the goal, but how you get there, that was, that was determined through the philosophy. So what happened was they were meeting every day in the church. They were discussing scripture, and they were discussing what the apostles were teaching them. What are they teaching us? And then they would do fellowship. Nothing will offend you. Koinonia is very important in the church, right? Fellowship isn't like, hey, let's you and I go to lunch. Fellowship is an intentional action. Fellowship means, ready? Here it goes. Fellowship means you like people that you wouldn't ordinarily like. You love people that you wouldn't ordinarily love because they have Christ in their heart. That's the deal. The Bible says do good to all, but especially the household of faith, right? So as brothers and sisters, we shouldn't be offended. We shouldn't divide. We should celebrate our diversity, our differences, all of the things that make us unique. Make us unique. You guys want to hear a story, a personal story, personal confession? All right, all right. So here's the deal. So I come from, uh, I come from a background, and um, in that background, let's just say there was a lot of eclectic behavior, a lot of like really wild behavior, right, in this charismatic movement that I used to be a part of. And some of it, charismatic, became charismania. So it did get like, did really leave the reservation. But as God began to work with this church, as he began to kind of work in a new way, and I'm trying to follow him into the spirit, the pneumatica, the manifestation of the spirit, as I'm trying to follow him, um, uh, the Lord says to me, I want you to make room for the eclectics. So if you have eclectic behavior going on, 
If Diana breaks out her hula hoop, it's okay, right? If Jeremiah comes and makes a cape out of palm fronds and prophesies over you, the Lord is now anointing you as a superhero, which I've seen happen here. And I, I mean, that was one of the things that was going on. I saw a bunch of young people there and, and Jeremiah, if you know Jeremiah, they were making this, they made this cape out of palm fronds. You know, they had these palm branches and they were tying it on each other and then they would pray over each other and then they would tie it on the next part. And I'm watching this and I'm like, what in the heck's going on here? And they would pray for each other and I asked Jeremiah, I said, what are you doing? He's like, well, we're just believing God that we're just anointing them with their superpowers, you know, or so it was something like that. I'm like, all right. And so I started talking to the Lord about it and he's like, Kevin, make room for the eclectic. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we want everything decently and in order, man. We're eclectic. Make room for the eclectic. That's where the creativity comes from. That's where the art comes from. Yeah, everybody's a little, some people are a little tipped a little too far. That's okay. If you, you know, but that, that atmosphere enables the creativity to rise. That atmosphere enables the glory of God to come forth. When we stifle everything, nothing happens ever, ever, right? Ever. We have people come here and they're stunned at the level of prophetic that's in this church, stunned. They can't believe it. They can't believe how clear this church activates prophetically. And I just think, well, we're not even close to where we need to be. And part of that is the atmosphere that we create. We create a structured environment, but it's safe, right? It's not without structure, it's safe. If you wanna know a little bit about it, go to the School of Prophetic. Sherry, you're welcome. So you go to the School of Prophetic, shameless plug. So, you know, but there are people that are stunned. She, she went on a mission trip with a major ministry and there were literally hundreds of people. Watch this, you're gonna be blessed. They went on a, on a mission trip with a major ministry. This dude travels the world and their whole thing is about supernatural. So they go and pray for people and do ministry all over. They came to her and she, I didn't go, she led the team. They came to her and said, we have just been talking about your group. And, and I don't know how many people went with you to that. 15, 10, seven, seven people. It was a small group. And they couldn't believe how mature that group was. She said, you guys are one of the most mature groups here. You know, and we feel like we can trust you to like take things like on. And this is like a, I said, he said that? She's like, they said that. I was like, what? <laughs> I know it's here, but it's different when it comes from someone else that's leading teams of hundreds. And they look and say, you guys like, we understand you guys are in that right lane. We understand you guys, we, we get where you're, we, we, we're, you know, you guys are getting this. You understand this. Yeah, because we teach it. We bring it forward. You guys should be blessed on that level. You should realize that. I get people that go all over the nation and they come in here and they can't believe how receptive. I'm like, dude, they're going to pull on it, right? I got a guy who comes in and next time he comes, I don't know if I'm going to work him this hard. But um, so when, it, when, a, when a guest speaker comes in, just so you all know how I work, right? So we get a guy come in and I'm like, if they won't minister to the people, you're, not, you're never going to see me again. It's just that simple. If it's all about you, dude, this is, you know, and you haven't make it through the door and it's a, that's a one-off. I'll never see, you'll never see you again. You're going to minister to these people and you're going to minister to these people. I put them to the test. I put them to the test. I'm like, okay, so like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm like, all right, well, we got a lunch with the leaders. And so I want you to do a little bit of teaching with the leaders. And then I want you to prophesy to the whole leadership team. And then when we're yeah, after teaching Sunday service, and because that's what I would do. And then I'm like, then, it, then that's on Sunday night. We're going to do a whole night. We're going to do a night of ministry. And you're going you're to minister to all the people. We're going to pray for the sick. We're going to minister prophetically to, the, to everybody. And if that guy can't run with a footman, he's not riding this horse. Not going to happen. And I mean, I put him to the test. And some guys don't like it. And I'm like, well, nice to see you. 
Glad, glad you'll be back. I mean, I don't do that every single time, but if I don't see servitude out of these people, it's not happening. If they won't come in a ministry position and serve the people that are in front of them, it's not happening. Not happening. <laughs> Two hours of ministry and with the leadership, prophesying to the leadership, right? Then I put him out here and he's got two and a half hours out here after two and a half hours on the front end, right? So he's got six full hours of ministry. Bro, you can't handle that. You know, I got no time for it. That's just me. That's just me. Like I want to see, I want to see people who actually care about the things of God and are willing to serve the people. Serve the people. If they will not serve, minister, uplift, and engage the people, I don't have time for it. I got time for it. You know why? We'll raise people up in this body that will do exactly what you, Mr. Rockstar Famous, will not do. That's what will happen. Because Jesus isn't interested in that. He's interested in feeding his sheep. He's interested in caring for his lambs. He's interested in uplifting his people. You have a gift? Great. Impart it. Give it all away. I want it all gone. Dump it out, bro. Freely you've received, freely you give. Lay it all out there. <laughs> That's just me. It's just how I roll. You're like, well, I'm never coming to Elevate. Well, you probably won't because you're never like, you know, the, the, sometimes people won't want to come, but they always come. They always want to come back. Every single one of them comes back because something gets pulled out of them because they're in an atmosphere where people want it. And when you're ministering in an atmosphere where people want it, it's pulled out of them. They get upgrades just by serving here. I got, I got text messages this week. I got things this week. People asking me, hey, how's it going? When can I come? When can I come? When can I come? So maybe that's why I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I don't know. When can you get them? I'm not sure. But it's about, it's about Jesus. It's not about, the per, it's not about the person that shows up to teach, right? The person that shows up to teach is to serve you. Doesn't mean they don't have a position. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be honored. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be respected. They hold a position. But that position is not to lord over the people. It's to serve the people. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. He's, a, he's your lord right now. He's Adonai. He has every right to dominate you. Every right. He is Adonai. There is no other Lord. He is. And he has the right to enforce his authority over you. But he doesn't. He uses his authority to serve. That's the model. The authority that we're given, the, higher you, the more authority you gain within the kingdom, the greater the servitude is. Despised of men, but esteemed of God. Men despise servitude. They look at it as weakness. Weakness. Even in the church, serving, serving leaders are looked at in weakness. It's not weakness. It's strength. Esteemed of men is ego and pride and vanity. What's a, that's esteemed of men, but it's despised of God. What is despised of God is not the position, but the servitude that comes from the position. You can hold the position. You can be the position, but use the position not for you. Use it not, and not even like pseudo for him. Use it to, if you use it for Jesus, then it should be known among the people. I don't know who this is for, but this is for somebody. Somebody needs to hear that. Amen. So like life groups, and so they, they, uh, they broke bread. They were communally together. They fellowship in the bond together. They prayed for each other. They ministered to each other's need. And verse 47 said they worshiped together. So these are the things that God expects from his church in a group, in a, in a you know, corporate way. But these are also, but the life group is a microcosm of the church. That's what a life group is. A life group, small group is a microcosm of the church. In the life groups, you're going to see all these things. There, say this with me. There are commands that cannot be followed unless I'm in community with others. The Lord gives direct instructions, and those instructions cannot be followed unless you're in community with other people. What are they? Love one another. Can't do that by yourself. Care for one another. 
help one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, share with one another. That's like eight. There's at least 15 one another's in the New Testament. None of those things can be done unless we're actually with one another, right? And so we can do that in, we can do that in the corporate gathering and we can do that in, in, the, in the small groups. And so that's one of the things the small groups are designed to do is to encourage you to minister one to the other or that there's, there's interpersonal ministry going on in those groups. Yes, you're growing. Yes, you're fellowshipping. Yes, you're breaking bread. All those things. Yes, you're hanging out. Yes, you're with a group. Yes, you're with people. All that's wonderful. But also an internal component is ministry one to the other. You should be able to go to a life group and people should pray for you if you need prayer. Okay? You go to one of our life groups and you say that as a high percentile, you're going to get like prayer. Very high. I don't even think that it would be not, it would not happen. But that's, that's again, that's why you're not alone, right? So it's not just, you know, like in a big church or in, in, in a corporate gathering or even a, you know, in, in these environments, there's sometimes you feel disconnected. You shouldn't feel disconnected. That's what life groups are for, right? We have life groups and we have affinity groups, right? We have groups that just hang out together for no particular reason at all, just because they want to hang out to get to each other. They want to go try a new restaurant. They all go there. They want to jump out of a, they want to go bounce on trampolines. They all go there, right? Affinity groups just to hang out together for no, for no particular reason. You should never feel alone, Christian, ever. If you say with me, if I'm alone, it's by choice. That's right. You're not, you know, it's okay to be alone sometimes, but you're commanded to not be alone. You're commanded to be involved. Consider one another. Stir up love with one another. That's a good one. Good works with one another. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the manner of some, the command to assemble, but exhort one another. So much so as you see the day approaching. We're continually doing this with each other. Not one thing here says it's about you. None of it says it's about you. Give of yourself to one another. Encourage one another. Let me tell you something. You say, oh, I don't know, I need encouragement. Somebody's got it worse than you. Just find the person that's got it worse than you and encourage that person and you're gonna feel really good, right? Because everybody's got it, somebody's got it worse than you. Somebody does, right? And when you minister to someone, Bible says when you serve or encourage another, you yourself are encouraged. So none, nothing here, so it's like, well, who encourages me? Well, other people will encourage you. And even by encouraging other people, you're encouraged. This is done in community through intentional relationships with one another. Small groups play a large role in this. So let's deal with some objections, the inevitable objections. I don't have the time. Say it with me. I don't make time. I take it. You can't make time. You have to take it, which means you'll put time where you, on what you prioritize. You have to take time to prioritize the things that matter to the Lord. You say, I can't go to life group every, every week. I can't go. Can you go two times a week? Can you go three times a week? Can you, can you log on? Can you do it virtually, right? Or a month, excuse me, not a week. <laughs> You're like, a week? Can you meet daily in your life group? Can you, go, can, you, can you do it once a month? Can you do it twice a month? Can you do it three times a month? Can you make it a consistent pattern to force yourself into engagement? You have to come out of yourself. Say it with me. If I want what I've never had, I must do what I've never done. Right. If you want life to the full, if you want the things that God has for you, you got to do what you've never done. It's not about your comfort zone. Let me say that again. It's not about your comfort zone. And people say this, I don't like people. 
That's what people say that. They say, I don't like people. You know what I'd say that? Get over yourself. Get over yourself. Jesus, do you think Jesus, Jesus likes people? If Jesus likes people, you need to like people. My, li- my wife was just telling me about a major pastor, and I bless this guy, and I honor this guy because it's a total lesson for all of us. As he said, he would look through certain uh, ministry magazines and people that he saw in that magazine that offended him or hurt him or in some way he, was, he had some, some, some kind of you know, ill feeling towards, whether he knew them or not. He said he would leave the magazine open and he would pray until the Lord gave him his heart for those people. And he said, and if I didn't get it, I'd come back to it. He said, I would not turn the page until the Lord gave me his heart for that person. And then he said, and then I would move on. So many times, you know, we have to, you know, we look at people and we're so narcissistic. We think, oh, people bother me or this bothers me or that bothers me. Well, maybe you bother a lot of people too. You ever thought about that? Not me, you know? So you have to ask God to give you a heart for other people because it's not about you. It's not about you. The, one of the things the devil does is he isolates. It's not good that man be alone, right? It's the only thing in the, in the Genesis creation that the Lord said, this is not right. So if you live a habit of isolation and you're constantly isolating yourself and you're isolating yourself from the things of God or even from community or the things that God wants from you, it's not good. It's actually a tactic of the devil is to get you alone. You ever watch the lions in the Serengeti? They run through the herd to scatter the herd. And then the herd comes back together, but inevitably there's a straggler. And then they start isolating the straggler. They're looking for the straggler. They're looking for the one that doesn't think they have to be together. They're looking for the one that doesn't think they have to be, be, be together. Yeah. People say these objections. Here's another one. I'm an introvert. Come out. Right? Don't, you're an introvert. It doesn't matter. Come out. Be an, interview. be an introvert. But be an introvert in community. Don't isolate. People annoy me. <laughs> Welcome to Jesus. Welcome to ministry. So this is really important. This is very important. As Christians, we are to be relational experts. Mm-hmm. We're to understand relationships. We're to understand. We're, not, we're to be quick to forgive. We're going to be slow to speak. We're supposed to understand that if I'm offended, I'm supposed to bring my offense to the other person. If, some, if I've offended someone else, that person has to be allowed to bring their offense to me. And we're supposed to act mature. Right? We're supposed to actually be mature. And if there's a case that says, no, dude, you really did this, you're like, look, I'm sorry. I completely blew it. Please forgive me. That's not what I intended. And if you say, well, what if the person is not mature and they won't change or they won't listen to me? The Bible says treat them like an unbeliever. It doesn't say they are an unbeliever. He says treat them like one. They're just immature. They're undeveloped. The church has to develop. We have to not be so easily offended. We're so easily offended. Well, I don't even know about it. You know, we just get so easily offended. We have, that's what koinonia is, is that I refuse. You cannot. That's actually what forgiveness means. You know what forgiveness means? Put it out in front of you. Forgiveness doesn't wait till something happens and then you forgive. It means for, put out in front of you, give. Give something in front of you. It means you've determined that no one's going to offend me today. Devil's not going to steal my joy. Nah, you've determined that I will not be offended by my brother or sister. I've determined forgiveness, right? We set it in front of us. I know it's hard. Say this with me. Understanding. Come on. 
I know we're talking about forgiveness, and I'm stirring it up here, and everyone's like, forgiveness, you know. We, on Sunday morning, we act like we forgive everybody, but then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it all comes back, and we're like, I don't want to forgive anyone. But if you get this, this will help you. Say this, the foundation of forgiveness is understanding. If I can understand, that doesn't make it right, but it makes it forgivable. And if it's forgivable, it can be released. It's the foundation of all forgiveness is understanding. Jesus said, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing. Understanding beneath the forgiveness. If you realize that people are broken, you realize that people are egotistical, that people are arrogant, that people are foolish, that people are, self, are narcissistic, if you understand that, that doesn't make their behavior right, but it makes it understandable. And if you can understand it, you can forgive it. If you understand that you're broken and that not every day are you flying around in a glory cloud and doing everything right, you make bad choices. If you can understand that this, there are issues in your life, that doesn't mean that what you've done is correct. It means it can be understood. And if it can be understood, it can be forgiven. If you can understand that Jesus loves you on your worst day, you can forgive yourself. If you can understand that Jesus is for you and never against you, you can forgive yourself. Foundation, that's why we say these things. Unforgiveness towards ourselves is a huge thing. Unforgiveness towards others is a huge thing. And I'm gonna give you a big one. This, we never admit this, but unforgiveness towards the Lord. Any Christians have unforgiveness towards God? Yeah? They hold bitterness, they hold anger, they hold resentment because God didn't meet some expectation or because something went wrong in their life that they don't understand why it happened, right? They hold unforgiveness. If you understand that the problem is on my side and the problem is not with the Lord, that's it. That's, another, that's for another day. That's a big topic right there. I'm opening that one up and I'm like, well, this is going to get big real fast. So, but if you can understand that the, that the problem's with you, the problem's never with the Lord. God's good. The Lord is good, period. The problem is not with the Lord. The problem is with me. The Lord is not limited. I am. That's the question. The way we learn and grow is through different people. We, we learn something called patience. Patience. <laughs> do you know how you learn patience? Anybody? How do you learn patience? By dealing with impatient people. By dealing with people that drive you crazy. By dealing with the crazy makers, you are forced to become patient. Yeah. That's what happens. You can't learn it any other way. In fact, what happened, marriage is a huge one. You get impatient really quick. God shows you how impatient you actually are. Oh, I'm a very patient man. I watched a documentary on Mr. Rogers. He said, hey, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers. And he said that he and his wife almost divorced several times. Several times. He, he Mr. Rogers, had an anger problem. What? Right? So even Mr. Rogers can be provoked in certain situations, it seems, right? So, but patience is something that's learned, and it's learned through impatient situations. It's learned through impatient people. It's learned. Patience isn't, say, I don't have the patience. Well, of course you don't. You have to learn it. You, patience is something that you, you, it's not like I have it or I don't. You have to learn patience. It's a discipline. Patience is a discipline. James says this, consider it all joy. When you encounter difficulties of all kinds. What? 
I would not consider that joy at all because the testing of your faith develops patience. Oh, and allow patience to have its perfect work so that you may be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. So here we go. Ready? This is important. This is one of my favorite words. I love all the Greek words. This is a really good one. This is a lifestyle word for me. The word for patience, you're going to say it with me, hypo meno. And it means moving under pain. That's what it means. Uh-huh. So patience isn't the Zen state. Um, you know, I'm just going to be patient, be chill, sing in a sing-song voice or speak to you in a sing-song voice at all times. That's not what patience is. Patience is hypomeno. It means moving under pain. It pains you to be nice to that person, but do it anyway. It pains you to not, be ret not retaliate, but do it anyway. It pains you to obey God when everything around you is telling you not to. Hypomeno, move under pain. When it says patients have a perfect work, you know, to me, being in a Zen state is not perfection. But being able to move under pain, that is perfection. Because life is a painful process and people cannot move because of pain. And so when you have the ability to move under pain, well, now that's a work. I have the ability to love you even when you're unlovable. Wow, that's a miracle. You know, I have the ability to do what God told me to do even when everything against is against it. Hypomeno, do it anyway. American church is about comfort. Jesus is not about comfort. He's about character. Like, well, if you don't feel like it, you don't have to. How does that make you feel? Jesus isn't asking you how you feel. This is important, right? It was like, Jesus would always be concerned with my feelings. He's not. Uh, seriously, he's not. He's concerned with your character. Doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Doesn't mean your, your needs don't matter to him. Your needs do matter to him, but your feelings don't. He doesn't ask you. He tells you, right? That's important. <laughs> it's important because we're like, well, if the Lord wanted me to do it, then I would feel it. I would feel it. No, you wouldn't. Love your neighbor? Love your enemy? Do you feel like doing that? No, nobody feels like loving their enemy. Nobody feels like blessing those who hurt, who've done you wrong. Nobody feels like that. Nobody feels like loving your wife when she's unlovable. Nobody feels like honoring their husband when he's unhonorable. Nobody feels like that. But we do it anyway, right? You got that? Yeah, hype, say well, you're going to get this word, hypomeno. Right, exactly. We're relational experts. We're to keep the unity. So here's another thing. So I want to talk about life groups and why we don't, you know, like uh, some people are like totally down, but I want to speak to like the outliers and tell you like why it's important that you become a part of a group. One of the things is, is you have to overcome your vulnerability. Vulnerability is a huge barrier. We, are, we by nature retract from vulnerability. When we feel that we're in an environment that's vulnerable, we pull back. When we feel that that affects us with the Lord, that affects us with other people. When we feel that way, the church is to create safe environments, safe spaces, but safe, it's supposed to be a safe environment. We're supposed to train and teach the Christian that you think that person has issues, your issues are worse than theirs, right? That's what happens. That's why we're not vulnerable a lot of times because we don't want people to see our flaws. We have a whole generation that won't get married because we don't want anybody to, they don't want anybody to see their flaws. Fear of commitment. If I let somebody get that close, they're going to see it. I'm like, yeah, warts and all, brother. They're going to see everything. 
And so, but vulnerability is necessary because vulnerability builds relationship. People feel, have an issue with vulnerability with the Lord. They have an issue with vulnerability with themselves. There are areas and parts of their life that they don't want to look at because it makes them feel too vulnerable. We have to deal with that because what you're doing is you're literally closing off an area of your life. There's no life there. Whatever area of your life that you shut down, there's no life there. That's just the way it is. So vulnerability, you have to be willing to step into vulnerability. Say it with me. With Jesus, the blessing is on the other side of vulnerability. True. Large church is worship. Small group is fellowship. We encourage it. So this is an atmosphere of worship, all the things that we try to do here, but a small group is something that you can have fellowship in. The design of the small group is based upon the mandates of the church. Honor the Lord, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. They're all, we try to engage these as much as possible. You're not designed to go through life alone. There's no excuses for lonely Christians. Ready? Bible says this. If I desire friends, just help me out. If I desire friends, I must show myself friendly. Do you want friends? Then show yourself friendly. Be a friend. That's what I tell people all the time. Be a friend. I had a guy when I first came to Jesus. He wouldn't let me leave the place until I uh, introduced myself to 10 people. Because I, I was the guy, you pastor? Yeah, it was me. I would be the guy standing out there on the outside. Oh, yeah, no, no. And he grabbed me. He said, you're going to introduce yourself to 10 people. And as I started doing that, suddenly I met nice people. And they were like, hey, why don't you come to my group? We're doing prayer at my house on this night, or we're going to pizza, or we're going to go play pool, or we're going to go do this, we're going to do that. All of a sudden, I started finding friends because I was showing myself friendly. Nobody invites me to coffee. I would say, who did you invite? Nobody invited me to lunch. Who did you invite? Right? One out of 10 is going to happen. I'm telling you. It's probably about 50-50. You know? Around here, we're a pretty friendly group, so you're going to get more than that. You're going to get more friends than you want, if I can tell you that. But you're like, whoa, too many friends. But if you want friends, be a friend. Don't be lonely. Don't be an outlier. Don't make yourself a target by isolation. Get involved. People need you and you need people. People need you around them. The Bible says we're mutually encouraged by each other's presence. You come to church and you see people like, oh, hey, what's going on? You get mutually encouraged just by the presence of other people. So what happens. We need each other. We have to be mutually encouraged just by being together. It's just, it's just how God's made us. You need to grow. You need to develop. You need to express. You need to serve. You need to honor the Lord. So if you want to connect to one of our, our life groups, we're going to end the service. But if you're online and you went to all of our online family, you're like, life groups, man, they're going on. Yeah. And if you're out there and you're not part of our, our local Miami community as well, you can send an email to elevatemiamichurch at Gmail. There it is, I see it. And then they will give you information and connect you to a life group. We are doing virtual groups this year. We have life groups for all different sorts of things. If you live in the local Miami area, we have all kinds of affinity groups. We have The Real Deal, we have Young Adults. What else, we got men's, we got women's, we got a bunch of stuff going on. So there's no reason for you to not be able to find a group that you can't connect with. And so I want to bless you. I want to bless all our online people. I want to bless you guys too. And then we're going to break out. And so what we want you to do, the life group people will be at their tables and you can talk to the life group people and you can, ready? I want you to say it with me. Sign up for a life group. <laughs> Sign up. Get, be a part of it. Be a part of a life group. There's some really powerful. I don't know what Connie's got going on. She's got like this like women's powerhouse group here or something. I don't even know. Yes. 
you know, it's like, I don't even, I have any idea. So there's, um, we got a bunch of, we got a bunch of fun. So I was here, they, they met here on, um, thir- thir- thank you. What day is it? I don't know. So it's Tuesday. No, it's like Thursday. And it was like, you know, power. So nonetheless, but you can find a group. You like it low key. We got it low key. You like it friendly. We got it friendly. You like it power. We got you on power. So uh, break out to the tables, go and meet somebody, sign up for a life group. And then let me just dismiss. Let me bless you guys at home. I just want to give you the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you, elevate, and all those who watch us. And may the Lord forever keep you in his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. We should have a prayer team. There may be somebody over here for prayer. If not, if you are on a prayer team, please make yourself available. And uh, we need prayer for you. Amen. God bless you. We love you. God loves you. Sign up for a life group. In Jesus' name.